over his latest decision-making over company policy has made me think about the responses to these policy changes and how this reflects a serious problem, especially within Christianity, of wanting saviors that replace what Jesus Christ taught us. Allow me to explain. By the way, welcome each and every one of you to the newest episode of the Absolute Truth Absolutely podcast, once again presenting the subject matter during this edition is your servant in Jesus Christ, Gio. Allow me to explain because there are people who might accuse me of being blasphemous when I say that there are certain Christians. By the way, this has an extension to people whom consider themselves conservatives. And I say this because there are plenty of conservatives whom say that the Judeo-Christian or the Christian ethic is part of what influences their point of view on political issues, social issues, what have you. Now, if this is true, going back to the point, there is a disturbing trend within Christianity that you can see conservatives adopting this very idea as if it's helpful when in fact it's not. And lest I leave it unexplained and people were to accuse me of being blasphemous by saying looking for other saviors aside from Jesus, allow me to explain what I mean by this. The essence of this spirit, which is not Christian at all, is when we think that we are reacting with righteous indignation, which, by the way, that's completely legitimate when we see an injustice perpetrated, when something is seen that is anti-Christian and we react with indignation, that's perfectly fine. That's biblical. But here is what is not biblical. When we simply cross our arms together and we ask rhetorically, who's going to do something about the situation? You see, it begins to make more sense. Jesus teaches us that we have to take direct action on these issues. Jesus already came, died, resurrected for the sins of the world. So he did his part. But on the other end of that, Jesus also teaches us that we have to go and act. Jesus says, go into the world, preach the gospel. And among the other things that Jesus teaches us is that when something ought to be done with the situation, Christians ought to be in the forefront of taking action. But unfortunately, modern Christianity has done all the opposite. We've done along with what the world has done in its religion, among others, of comfort and convenience. And we think that we're actually accomplishing something when we simply say, who's going to come and do something of the matter? And then we begin to look for other saviors when we ourselves ought to become involved in the solution. Let me give a couple of examples to prove my point here. I mentioned earlier what has been happening with Elon Musk. Now, I know some will say that I'm being braggadocious about what I'm about to say, but I did warn the audience some time ago that I was going to reserve judgment on whether or not Elon Musk buying Twitter was going to be a good thing or not. Why? Well, when you know the man's history, it gives you pause. But I still remember months ago that conservative publications, conservative websites, they were exalting Elon Musk as the next advent of the ultimate free speech warrior in the United States. His acquisition of Twitter and his stated intention of returning Twitter to be a bastion 
of free speech was celebrated by so many people. And yet there were a few of us, very few of us, who were saying we're going to reserve judgment because this man has stated publicly that many of his intentions are good. And then when you look at his track record, you begin to see that he's nothing more than another corporate shark, among other things, by the way. Well, case in point, some of the most recent decisions that Elon has made for the company, for example, hiring CEO Linda Yaccarino, who most recently stated that, yes, there is free speech, but it doesn't give you the right to amplify that awful speech, and therefore Twitter is going to censor it. They hired, Twitter did, an individual who was going to monitor political conversation on the website. And supposedly the initial indications were this man is going to be impartial in the way that he was going to moderate content on Twitter, which by the way, just by the very fact that they have a moderator or moderators tells you that they're not necessarily given to upholding free speech, not free speech absolutists, as it were. Well, they found out the guy's a double agent. There's a reporter, if I'm not mistaken, or a report through Revolver.News that proves that the guy is a rabid leftist. Well, Elon has defended Linda Yaccarino. He stayed quiet on a few of these other changes. And one of the most recent controversial changes that he brought to the so-called platform was the disabling of the blocking function. Now, there are debates that are had around that function in and of itself. There are people who have said, how can you be a free speech absolutist? And then on your own account, you have the blocking function. Others have stated the blocking function is necessary to impede trolls and other sorts of people who post vile content on one's account, but they say the company's not doing this. They're allowing people themselves to decide whom they are choosing to listen to, as it were, or allow to comment on their content, et cetera, et cetera. That's a debate that we can have another day. But the point is for Twitter, supposedly, after Elon purchased it, was supposed to be a bastion of free speech. Now he has enabled this function. James Woods, the actor, called out. He denounced Elon for this move. And Elon, his response was then delete your account. And then immediately after, according to screenshots placed by James Woods, Elon blocked <laughs> James Woods so that Elon wouldn't be able to see James Woods' tweets. Indirect contradiction to, once again, Elon's stated goals. This has been part of his track record, ladies and gentlemen. Elon has a track record of being, once again, a corporate shark, among other things. But the conservative world, just like they're doing now with Vivek Ramaswamy, by the way, I've stated it before, when you read his books, he is not a pure free market guy. If you read Woke Inc. and other things, you'll see that there are other things that are propelling him, his ideology, but now he is trying to take on the Trumpian mantle, the conservative populist mantle, to try to eat away at Trump's vote totals. I honestly think he knows he can't beat Trump. That's my opinion. And I think he's just trying to vie for a position in the next Trump administration. I know some people have said he has openly stated he's not interested in the vice presidency, but you know, you know how politicians work. They say one thing now and tomorrow, they actually reveal what their stated intention was all along. You can't take a politician's words at face value. But returning to the point, I don't want to lose sight of what the main gist of this episode is. People were exalting, exuberant over Elon purchasing Twitter because here comes a man, a savior to save free speech when the solution was there all along. I'll give an example. Andrew Torba, 
even though there are things that his soteriology with which I disagree, he has done a fantastic thing, a fantastic thing. He said, fine, we're going to build it. We're going to build the alternative platform where Christians and others can gather and there will be unfettered free speech. The only thing from my understanding that he censors on Gab is pornography and threats and violence. Those are the only things that they eliminate, that they censor on Gab. And yet when this man actually said, we're going to do something about this, we're going to take action. In other words, I'm not simply going to cross my arms together and I'm going to wait for a savior as it were, going back to the uh, way I stated it, this metaphorical way that, you know, figurative way that I'm stating it. I'm taking action in the issue. Now I'm hearing Christians saying, I don't necessarily like Gab, even though, yes, we, we are clamoring for free speech. There are things that are posted on Gab that are unsavory. And then I, I look at these people and I said to myself, isn't this what you were asking for? Somebody took on the establishment did what you were demanding because you were being repressed on Twitter, Facebook, what have you, and now you're complaining. You can't have it both ways. See, these are the contradictions. These are the hypocrisies that in many instances characterizes the church and the church doesn't notice it. And one of these things, one of these contradictions is awaiting, as it were, thinking that we're actually doing something about the issue, awaiting for saviors. When the fact of the matter is Jesus teaches us that he came, he did the work of providing salvation for all. But he also tells us that we are going to have affliction in the world and to learn from his character and to confront that affliction in the world. He teaches us via his direct example. By the way, we see this example throughout the scriptures. I'll give you one prime example to prove the point. Paul, the apostle Paul, was not a man to simply sit on his laurels and say, who's going to do something about this? He noticed that there was something deficient amongst the Cretans, or Cretans, however you pronounce it. Tomato, tomato, right? I've never heard anyone pronounce it tomato or potato, but <laughs> hey, that's the saying, right? What happens? He tells Titus, go over to Crete. Correct, fix the deficiency. There's a void there. And he even quotes one of their own prophets, whom says of the Cretans that they were just lazy, gluttonous, animalistic people. He sends Titus. In other words, he takes the direct action, similar to what Paul was doing. He was going directly into these places, preaching the gospel and correcting what was deficient. He sends this young preacher, and this is what he writes in his epistle to him, to Titus. I sent you there to correct what is deficient. And he says, rebuke them sharply. Notice that these Christians learned from Christ to take action on the matter. They didn't simply wait around for people to come and save us. That's not what we learn from Jesus. What we learn from Jesus is to do something about it, to do something according to how he taught us. But I return to what I said earlier. One of the problems of modern society is since we worship at the altar of comfort and convenience, we want someone else to do something of the matter. Now, I know what some would say, Gio, I'm so busy doing things that I ought to be doing, that I can't take up the mantle, as it were, of these other things. Now, here's my answer to that. Who told you that you have to take this on alone? This is something that every Christian has to participate in. See, people like Andrew Torba, and again, they haven't paid me for this. They have not given me some, uh, some patronage, as it were, for any of this. I'm just stating this. These are my own opinions. And others whom have created alternatives because... It's not just Torba. There are others who are seeing the situation 
and are actually trying to do something about this. And yet I continually hear Christians say, no, but I, I prefer the Amazons of life. I prefer the Twitters of life, even though the people that are administering these organizations are inherently anti-Christian. And they continue to complain about these people and these organizations, and they continue to wait for saviors instead of doing something about it to provide others an opportunity to enjoy freedom in Christ, to enjoy liberty in the country, what have you. Something ought to be done about it. At the very minimum, the least that we can do as Christians is to spread the gospel. And in many instances, we don't even do that. But again, we've come to think that we're actually doing something with simply reacting with righteous indignation. Well, yes, that's the first step, but what are you going to do about it? Now I'm asking the question, what are you going to do about it? See, this message in and of itself is not a comfortable one for any one of us whom have this idea, this concept thoroughly ingrained. It's not a comfortable one because it calls us to action and it actually calls us away from inaction, from indifference. And this attitude that tries to disguise the indifference. I mean, Jesus himself, rhetorically, he's telling the disciples, there's plenty of labor. I'm paraphrasing here. There's plenty of labor here. The fields are ripe for harvest, but very few laborers. And he basically tells the disciples, pray unto the Lord so that he would send laborers. Do you actually think that Jesus was telling the disciples, pray to God so that he would send laborers? Or was this a rhetorical way of Jesus saying, become involved? I think the latter. And that's the essential message for this episode of the podcast. We ought not to be like the world, which again, they're sitting on their laurels, thinking they're doing something by simply sitting back and becoming indignant over something and asking, what's going to be done about this situation? Who's going to do something about this situation? When the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus teaches us to take direct action on the matter. I mean, even in this, when you think about it, you're actually, you can actually be doing something by simply speaking the truth. The truth that people don't want to hear, that's doing something. Look at some Christians and the way that they're battling these battles that other Christians refuse to engage in. Recently, it was announced that there was a stewardess that was fired by Southwest Airlines a couple of years ago. If I'm not mistaken, her name was Charlene Carter. And she was fired over her views against infanticide. She's a believer. She took Southwest Airlines to court. And now there was a judge in Texas, if my mind doesn't fail me, that ruled that not only does Southwest have to reinstate her, not only do they have to pay her for all of the costs associated with attorneys and whatnot, but now the attorneys for Southwest Airlines had to undertake religious freedom training from Alliance Defending Freedom and pay their representatives for hospitality, food, the time that they're going to be teaching them these things, et cetera, et cetera. Fantastic. And all this lady did was decide, I'm going to fight against this injustice. Notice how she is helping the cause of believers against these big corporations that are inherently trying to drown out Christianity by doing something about it. So that's my point. Instead of sitting around and being like the rest of the world and saying, who's going to come and save us? Who's, who's, who's the next savior? Jesus teaches us to do something about it, to take action on the matter. That's part of the Christ-like ethic, and that's the one that we ought to imitate. I hope this will help you understand the part of the spirit of the age and to not fall into that trap because it's not aligned with what Christ teaches his church. That's all I have to communicate with you in this edition. I thank you for listening. 
I would ask you that if you're listening to this podcast through iTunes, that you were to give us a five-star review. That way, the algorithms, they pick up on the increasing popularity, hopefully, of this podcast, and therefore, they would recommend it, suggest it to other people. We were to ask you also that if you're listening to this through the website, share this link with others. You would be doing us a great service by spreading the word about this particular ministry. That's all for now. Until the next occasion that we meet, once again, thank you for listening. May the Lord shine his face upon you. Thank you.